0: Hello, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 246 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, November 8th. We've had a flurry of Duke news. So we're going to get into all that on this episode. But first things first, quick intros. Donald Wine here coming to you from my home in Washington, D.C. I got my friends with me, Sam Klein in Boston. Hello. Good morning. Good
1: morning. Great to hear from you. Good to see you guys.
0: Good to see you as well. And Jason in Atlanta, hello to you as well.
1: Hey, I'm eager to chat about um, the blue-white game. We essentially had a blue-white game. You know, by the way, we had an episode a couple weeks ago, and I don't know, Donald, I don't know if you were going to say this. I'm kind of stealing, you know, your intro, but we had a whole episode where we speculated about how Duke was going to do something really cool for the blue-white and, and do something where all of us fans got to experience it in some cool kind of interactive way, virtual kind of way. They didn't do any of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so here's the thing, and we're going to get right into it. The thing about this game that we're going to discuss is that it was not the blue white scrimmage. They have been billing it as an inner squad scrimmage. They also said they're going to have more as this month progresses towards November 25th and that start date. So maybe there will be one closer to the start of the season. That does fulfill some of those things that uh, we were talking about a few episodes ago. But I will say, we, we're going to begin with this game on Friday. The team held uh, an inter-squad scrimmage, as I mentioned, and they released some highlights from it on Saturday morning. So if you want to check it out, it's about eight and a half minutes long. It's on the Duke basketball social media pages. We wanted to break down the highlights video that we saw. Now, to give you guys a frame out there of what happened, uh, the team split up into two teams, obviously, and played three 12-minute period, so it wasn't like a full game. Players switched teams between periods, so it was, it was clearly you know seeing what kind of matchups worked with each other. We have some stats that were released from the closed-door scrimmage. I will break some of those down very quickly before I get uh, the take of Jason and Sam. Jeremy Roach, 22 points, 5 assists. DJ Stewart also had 5 assists along with Jordan Goldwire. Henry Coleman 17 points and 10 rebounds, Patrick Tepay 14 points and 10 rebounds, Wendell Moore 16 points 7 of 9 from the free throw line, Joey Baker 15 points 6 of 12 shooting, 3 of 6 from the three point line. Both teams according to Duke shot 43 uh, 41% from the floor and 72% from the line. So Jason, with that in mind, obviously that's not a clear indication of what everyone did on the court and we only got a snippet of what was probably an hour long or so scrimmage but give me your take of what you saw from the highlights that we did see
1: well by the way I want to correct one thing that you mentioned Uh, what Duke reported was that the two teams shot 41 percent from the field over the final two periods the, the the release actually said that uh, after the team got more accustomed to the surroundings, they shot a combined 41% over the final two periods. That tells me that in the first period, the first 12-minute section, they didn't shoot well at all. <laughs> yes, that's probably
0: true. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, I, I think uh, – and, and it, you know, I love the Duke media team, the social media team, um, the folks who have given us these highlights that we've gotten throughout the, um, you know, the preseason so far, Um, we're yet to get, they've, they've labeled some of them, quote unquote, uncut. Um, We're yet to get anything uncut. We're yet to get a unvarnished look at this team uh, that that is not edited. Um, I I don't say that to doubt the quality of the team. Um, Look, it's not their job necessarily to put out clips of guys, you know, missing three or four shots in a row. But, you know, this was, once again, a very edited version of of this Duke basketball team. And as a result, I feel like I'm not getting a great sense of what they really can be. And I really, dearly hope that they do give us some look at the team scrimmaging, playing, you know, against, obviously against themselves. I don't know if they might, you know, maybe at some point they might bring in someone to play, you know, a preseason scrimmage against. That wouldn't be a crazy thought if you, you know, tested properly and such. But... uh, I, I don't know that from this video we learn a ton more about the team. The things that I took away from it very quickly, um, Jeremy Roach, I thought in these clips looked really, really good. Um, he's clearly very physical, has an ability to get to the rim. Um, he he hit a few threes, and and the book on him was that he's not a great three point shooter. Seeing him take those threes with a lot of confidence, seeing him seeing him hit them in rhythm. Look, they said he he shot six of nine from the field. Uh, it, over these over these thirty six minutes, and we saw him hit a couple threes. Well, he couldn't have missed that many three pointers if he was, it was six of nine overall. So uh, clearly, he he shot really well. If Jeremy Roach is going to going to really elevate to to be a guy who's good from the outside, with as good as he looks, you know, his handle, um, his passing. By the way, some really great passing from Jeremy Roach and, and from a couple other guys. DJ Stewart also had a couple of really nice passes uh, on this tape. Uh, you know, looking for guys on opposite side of the court, that kind of stuff that that is not easy to do. And if you pull it off, push the defense in a really pressure situation. Um, I, I, I thought those two guys, the, the, the guard play, I thought looked very, very impressive. The biggest takeaway I had from all of it was the speed. It looked to me like every single time a Duke player got a rebound, they were looking to push the ball up the floor, um, there were guys racing to the wings to set up to get open three pointers. And there were guys taking the ball to the basket. It looked like they were playing at an incredibly fast pace. We've heard again and again from players and coaches that the Duke is really deep, has a lot of guys who can play really well. And so they can play at a fast pace. And, and I, I saw that a lot in this scrimmage. And and then the last thing is Henry Coleman. I, it's unreal how often henry coleman was in the middle of plays mixing it up getting rebounds they said he was he and patrick DePay were the leading rebounders i i know it feels like this guy's the 11th guy on the team i know it feels like people talk about oh maybe he's going to play for five years this is not a future nba player all these other kind of things god just it feels like this guy's gonna he's gonna get time i i i don't know at whose expense it comes i don't know how coach k finds the minutes for all these players But man, it feels like every time you hear from people, every time you're talking about the team, there's Henry Coleman. So,
2: I'm glad that you brought up the speed that was so apparent to you because I I saw something similar. And I think the, the expression they used to describe that is game speed. They were not going at practice speed. They were going at game speed. And with that speed, I think you also saw a lot of aggressiveness. I wanted to first talk about Matthew Hurt, who we've heard a lot about the... We we've heard a lot about the workouts that he's been through over the summer to get stronger, to get faster, and I think you saw little glimpses of that in in this video that we hadn't seen much of in prior videos. He is clearly working on post moves. He's running a lot more, and and he physically looks a lot bigger, which is going to be really important for him. If, if Duke is good, Matthew Hurt is playing a lot of minutes for this team he needs to have the strength and the endurance to be able to hold down the power forward position for extended stretches. And I think we saw that for the first time a lot in this video, obviously with all the caveats that you can only tell so much from this video because it is because it is the cut highlights. Another guy that I thought uh, was notable here was Jordan Goldwire. It seemed like he was doing a lot to facilitate offense and and be the pesky defender that we know he is. I think it's important for us to keep Goldwire in mind as a as a key cog for this team. Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart both come in as highly touted prospects at at guard positions, but Goldwire is a is an enormous safety valve for both of them. And if he's going to be giving Duke. 25 minutes a game where he's where he's really solid on defense and and you know serviceable on offense then then that helps the whole rest of the lineup and it gives a lot more flexibility I'm glad Jason that you mentioned Henry Coleman because I I noted the same thing the his aggressiveness you know I I mentioned before about how aggressiveness was apparent all over this video Henry Coleman being aggressive was was huge here so so all of that I, I think was true and then finally The the last guy that I wanted to mention who we know is going to be important for this team but hasn't appeared as much in highlights yet is Jalen Johnson. Um, Really elevated a few times in this video. I I think of all the players on this team, he's probably the one who's going to produce the most wow-type highlights. He's not Zion Williamson on on the breakaway, but he's big and fast and strong, and, and, and he can really dunk it. And and is good enough to be getting a lot of minutes for this team. So it was cool to see Jalen Johnson put out a, a few highlights that hopefully is a indicator of of more to come from him throughout this season. Sam, I'm really
0: glad that you brought up Jalen Johnson because that's who I was gonna discuss. In the first half of the video, again, the video is like what eight and a half minutes long, so you don't really take a lot out of it. But I'm thinking about Jalen Johnson just from the first half of the video. Yo, he's solid. He can. He's not going to be a dynamic star, but he's going to be a guy who can do a lot on the floor. He can shoot. He can drive. He he was at the top of the key defending. He can steal the ball. Patrol. You know, passing lanes. And then the second half of the video comes, and every other play is Jalen Johnson doing very dynamic things with like tomahawk dunks, cleaning up plays with dunks, uh, you know, stealing the ball. They had that, uh, they also had that play where it seemed like it was the tip off of the third period that they played, that basically was the ball never touched the floor and it led to him like flying through the air from the free throw line and and tomahawk dunking it over somebody. Like, if I want to see more of that from him because if he's going to be our dynamic player, we have a couple other guys that can do dynamic things as well, and teams just won't know what to do with all that. So it was good to see after you know this whole offseason of really talking about you know what Jalen Johnson is going to be, what his role is going to be. It, it seems that he can do a lot of things, and it's cool that I want to see him assert himself and, and make him to be, hey, this is – I don't want to say this is my team, but at least have that mentality of I can take over
2: any game I want. With apologies to Jason Tatum and and one of his lowlights from from the playoffs, I'd say generally speaking, we are pro Tomahawk dunking in in the course of the game. You know, we, we want to see more of that. There was one, Donald, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought up the, the dunking. There was one highlight of Jalen Johnson where there was like a loose ball and things were scrambling around and all of a sudden he was at the rim cocking it back. That was awesome. You know, I, I I love seeing that kind of enthusiasm from from the freshman.
0: And there is an alley one where it seemed like the entire play lasted about 13 seconds, and he was in the air for 10 of them. It was just like slow motion him grabbing the ball with one hand and deciding, do I just flush this down? Do I lay in it? No. Mm-mm. Highlight. And just absolutely yamming it uh, over everybody. So I do like what I saw. It, I, I agree with you, Jason. And the thing about the the fact that we don't really see the vegetables of these highlight videos is I don't think they want other teams to see the vegetables either. And, and that's fair, you know. When they release something, it's it's viewed by three million people. So when they when they release a video, they want to show the best of these players so that. Everyone out there, including the other teams who I'm sure are patrolling Duke Duke Blue Planet for all our videos, is saying they're not getting everything about this team. They want to wait until November 25th to unleash the Fury and people can get a full sense of what this team's like. But I will end with this, unless you guys have anything else. The shots, they shot 31 for 75. 75 shots. Jason, I know that you are... The man when it comes to that stat, particularly because it's a barometer of how you think a team is being aggressive on offense. If we're going to take 75 shots in 30 minutes on on offense, that is a lot of shots. That means this team is ready to go fast, all parts of the game. And if we can, you know, I don't think there's going to be very many games where, unless we shoot terribly if you attempt 75 shots and you're going to make 45% of them, you're going to win a lot of ball games just by that
1: barometer alone. Uh, Look, my, my last comment on all this stuff. uh, We, we coach K said, when we spoke to him last week, separation, he's still looking for separation. Uh, What, what, just based on the number of guys we talked about, and we didn't—we didn't even talk about Wendell Moore, who, who according to the statistics, had a really nice performance, scored in double digits, uh, you know, was very efficient. Uh, Joey I'm Baker, sure. we
0: didn't—we didn't mention we, his name either. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, Joey Baker. By the way, they said they said he was three of six on three pointers. Right. You know, that—that's that, what you're going to get from Joey Baker. Fifty percent of your threes. I mean, my goodness, that guy's not going to sit. Wendell Moore's not going to sit. Patrick Tapei had a double double. He had 14 points and 10 rebounds it is apparent to me that there is not separation yet and and i you know it'll probably happen at some point it always does but i think early in the season we are absolutely we're gonna see 10 11 guys playing every single game and and um you know it's just it's just really interesting it's not something we've seen a lot from duke in the past and i haven't seen anything to indicate that coach k is not going to arbitrarily pick guys he's going to pick the guys who earn it And I haven't seen anything to indicate that there aren't currently 11 guys earning it.
0: Hopefully we'll see more. Of course, it's probably going to be another highlights package. The team did indicate that they are going to play another closed door scrimmage next weekend. So we'll probably have those highlights up on a show uh, that in next some point next weekend, but I do want to move on to preseason awards. And obviously every single year, the NCAA releases a, a, huge laundry list uh, of people who are on the quote-unquote list for these preseason awards for point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and center. And we have some guys that were on uh, some of these lists. So Mark Williams is on the list for the Abdul-Jabbar Award. That's for centers. Matthew Hurt is on the list for the Carl Malone Award for power forwards. Wendell Moore and Jalen Johnson both make the list for the Julius Irving Award for small forwards. And DJ Stewart makes the awards list for the Jerry West Award for point guard. So for shooting guards, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and I don't think we had anybody on the point guard list. Uh, so, Sam, I will start with you. Give me your take of what this is, what this means for some of these players and also for some of the players who didn't make any of these watch lists.
2: Yeah, I was going to start with the fact that Duke doesn't have anybody on the Koozie Award list. So... You know, clearly the the fix is in because Duke only gets nominated on four of the five major awards and there's only 20 guys on each list. So there you go. No, I am, I'm certainly encouraged by the fact that there are so many freshmen on these watch lists, in particular, Mark Williams. We've talked, we, we didn't really talk much about Mark Williams in the context of this latest scrimmage video, but we have heard a lot from players on the team, from coaches, about how much Mark Williams has contributed during the during the preseason and during practices, and and here he is on the watch list for for center of the year. I don't think that Mark Williams is going to win center of the year. I don't think he's going to get enough minutes to to just be that viable of a candidate. But it, it's it's nice to have that kind of buzz around him. And if if nothing else, it does mean that early in the season, teams have to be aware that hey, you know, you have to prepare for Wendell Moore and Matthew Hurt and Jordan Goldwire and Joey Baker, the sort of known commodities. You have to prepare for Jalen Johnson and Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart, who are the the most highly touted players on this team. And by the way, you also have to prepare for Mark Williams, who is nothing like any of those players. He's a a very long center who's going to be looking to get dunks and rebounds, and and that's not any of the rest of those guys' games. So that's really encouraging for me. I also thought it was interesting that – Wendell Moore and Jalen Johnson are both considered small forwards because I actually think of Jalen Johnson perhaps as as more of a power forward in college. He's probably more of a small forward in the NBA. And Wendell Moore is really – is just a wing, I guess. He's a small forward or he's a shooting guard depending on the makeup of your team. But interesting that those guys are are both on the small forward list. Look, ultimately – the, the preseason watch lists for awards is is not the most important thing for for Duke fans. Nobody's counting these awards. it's like it's like the preseason rankings but but even less telling because of course it relies a lot more on reputation. Duke is one of the most prominent names in college basketball so there's going to be sort of a bias towards well we might as well throw a Duke player. I, I I saw that Mark Williams is joined by two UNC centers on the on the best center team. So I'm not taking huge stock in it, but but I am excited that Mark Williams is getting notoriety here early in the season.
0: It's a preseason list. It's just like the preseason All-ACC, preseason All-American. It's, an, it's what the NCAA and, and really the writers are indicating who they think are going to be the stars of the season. I don't think that's going to stop Jeremy Roach from playing ball. I don't think that's going to stop jo- Joey Baker or Jordan Goldwire from playing ball, right? That they did make this list. It's like, oh, well, I guess they're not good. No, these guys are really good. So uh, I really, at the end of the season, those lists are going to be the ones that are more indicative. But obviously, this is just something uh, to talk about with regards to like who is being seen, who's being, you know, placed on this watch list. And when you talk about the just anticipation for the season, Mark Williams being on uh, the, the Abdul Jabbar list is one that I thought stood out to me because, again, of what you just said, Sam, the the fact that they've been talking about him all fall long about how he has progressed and. Really, that is an indication that people are, are taking stock in the fact that Mark Williams might make a major impact on this team, that, one that we didn't think probably back in May or June was going to happen. So uh, I, I really liked seeing him on that list and, and hope that it transpires onto the court. Jason, did you have anything on these lists uh, before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, first thing to note is that Duke is the only school in the country that placed five players on these uh, watch lists. Both Villanova and Kentucky placed four players on the watch list. Duke is the only school in the country that placed five. And obviously, uh, you know, no ACC team had more than three. I was taken aback when the point guard list came out and Jeremy Roach and Jordan Goldwire both weren't on it. I don't think Jordan Jordan Goldwire doesn't have the sort of attention-grabbing kind of game to, to to make this. I sort of thought Jeremy Roach would creep in there. I mean, he's considered one of the top two top three freshman uh, point guard prospects in the country. And, uh, y- you know, usually freshmen are what dominate the NBA draft because they're the, you know, they're the guys who have the most potential guys, you know, once they get three sophomores and juniors, the NBA isn't as interested in them because they, because uh, they are the really good ones have already gone off the NBA. So, so it's not uncommon to see freshmen have a huge, huge impact in college basketball. And, and for one of the top three, freshman point guard in the country to not even be on the top 20 list of point guards, you know, it's a little surprising to me. So, so then the very next day when the shooting guard list comes out and DJ Stewart is on it, I was like, I was, I was just really surprised. And and by the way, there, there's only one other freshman on that on that list with the other shooting guards, all the other shooting guards on that list are sophomores, juniors, and seniors. Uh, And I was like, you know, what's going on here? I really wonder where they're sort of getting their intel to make up these lists. Uh, you guys talked about Mark Williams being on it. We've heard so much buzz about Mark Williams coming out of the Duke practices. So I feel like maybe, you know, maybe some of the folks behind these awards are are chatting with people at Duke a little bit. I I, I, I just think the, the list of the five guys is sort of interesting, intriguing to me, mostly intriguing because because Jeremy Roach is not on there. And, and I probably would expect him to be. And, and the other weird thing, and this just shows you how, how unique and strange this Duke team is. I think there's a pretty good chance that Mark Williams and DJ Stewart, who are considered among the 20 best players at their positions, don't start for Duke. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of crazy.
0: We'll see what happens. Again, their preseason list, I, I think it's it's nice to talk about, uh, but I don't think, again, it's going to be an indication of how these guys play on the court. I, I fully expect a lot of guys on the, on the postseason ACC list if this season is correct. So uh, we will move on. I think this is a good time, actually, to pause for a quick break. And on the other side, Duke learns the location they will play for the Champions Classic, and it's a familiar one. Plus, we will recap Duke-UNC. But for all of that, stick around. Okay, guys, we are back. We are going to talk Champions Classic now. The Champions Classic has been moving around the country for the last couple of weeks. It was going to be in its original location of uh, the United Center in Chicago. And then because of the coronavirus pandemic... They were trying to move it to Orlando. Of course, a couple of weeks ago, as we mentioned, the Orlando campus of the Wide World of Sports for ESPN decided that they were not going to hold any games on that campus, forcing the Champions Classic to be played elsewhere. And it was unclear where it was going to be. Well, now we know where it is going to be played. Duke will be playing Michigan State in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, It is unclear why they decided to just make that a home game. uh, Kansas and Kentucky are going to be playing at Indianapolis, uh, so we're not sure why that Duke and Michigan State couldn't do the same. But at this point, we now know Duke will have his entire non-conference schedule in the friendly confines of Cameron Indoor Stadium. I think for the players, uh, the fact that they had the scrimmage on Friday in Cameron means that they're trying to get used to the rims and the sight lines that they are – probably not as used to seeing because when they're in Cameron, there's 9,314 people in there. So uh, they will get used to playing in an empty Cameron Indoor stadium for the fall, or at least for the, for the next couple of months, Jason, I'll go to you first. What, what did you make of this decision to play it in Cameron? Do you think this was something that Duke and Michigan state agreed to, or is this something that came from the champions classic?
1: I think Duke is very concerned about the coronavirus. And Duke has done a really, really good job of controlling it on our own campus and regarding our athletic teams. Uh, They don't even really, they don't provide, you know, weekly updates uh, about, you know, testing and the such uh, uh, regarding athletes. But we haven't heard of any athletes from any Duke athletic program testing positive in more than a month. So, I think I think Duke sort of said, We really we don't want to be traveling around the country. We we know we've got a good situation here. And I suspect that Michigan State said, Yeah, looks like you guys are doing a good job. So we have no problem coming to you. I, I also think that because there will not be fans in the stands, Cameron won't have quite the same home court advantage that it usually does. And and so it's not as big a deal to say to Michigan State, hey, come play on our floor. I think usually, uh, you know, a big team like that would probably say, wait, there's there's no way we're going to go face the crazies and face the Duke basketball team at the same time. Uh, it's not fair. Uh, I, I think that because the, the fans won't be there, it's a little more fair. And so teams are like, OK, cool, we'll play in Cameron.
2: I actually, now that I'm thinking about playing the playing all these games in, in home arenas, not just Cameron Indoor, but around the country and comparing it to how the NBA was playing in a bubble where they were basically just in like a uh, in like a sound stage for for all intents and purposes. It's actually going to be a cool opportunity, I think, for the networks to highlight how interesting all of these venues are. Like like think about you guys have all or the three of us have all been in Cameron when it's empty or or mostly empty and, and just kind of walked around in there. Think about how cool it'll be to to have that on a broadcast and to, and to show all the all the little nooks and crannies of the building. They'll they'll get to walk through the, the halls and in, in the upstairs and, and see all the cool pictures and and trophies and, and the like and also highlight all the all the banners that are hanging up and without being distracted I guess by the fans that are in attendance which of course we like we're we're fans of the Cameron Crazies we are all we are all we all have been Cameron Crazies but I think it'll be neat to to highlight these venues in a in a way that they don't normally get to do on game day outside of that very excited for all of the Duke haters to show up and talk about how Duke doesn't travel in their schedule in the non-conference at all, and this year more so than any because Duke won't be leaving home until whenever a, an ACC conference schedule comes out. And by the way, if the ACC figures out how to do some kind of bubbling, you know, grouping mechanism for, for making the season happen, it is very possible that Duke, like, doesn't leave the state or doesn't get on an airplane for most of the this season. So, I'm excited that they're that they're getting to play the game. Of course, Duke getting to play Michigan State is always a good time regardless of, of the outcome. I think it's it's fun for college basketball. I'm glad they're going to get to do it in Cameron. It will bring us back wonderful memories of the 2010 Duke Michigan State game in Cameron, which which I I love reminiscing on the the Kyrie Irving game. So, all of that means I'm excited. I'm glad they're getting to play and and we'll see what kind of interesting production ESPN puts on for it
0: one thing about Cameron and and we saw this in the highlights package and they made note of it during the scrimmage uh, at least in the in the recap of the scrimmage you saw Cameron look a little different the the, the bleachers were pulled out the bench, the bench was spaced out kind of like if you've seen uh, in the NBA bubble they had all of the plexiglass around the you know scores table and things like that so i say that to mean, like, this team is going to get very used to playing in the in this Cameron. This Cameron that's not going to have fans is probably going to be where the bleachers are pushed back uh, all the way to the wall. They're not going to pull them out and make the production of it looking like a Cameron that's empty. They're going to make it look like a high school gym uh, and really maybe use that as a you – know, I wouldn't be surprised if ESPN tries to use that wall as a green screen of sorts so they can pipe in fan, you know, fake fans or whatever they want to do with it but I do think from the team's perspective having teams come to Cameron and really for them they don't have to worry about the logistics of travel they don't have to worry about like hey you know booking hotels and and the testing that they have to undergo in another state they just have to worry about playing basketball uh, and doing what they're already doing so i I kind of like this I, I think it's I think it's it you know the haters are gonna say whatever but hey, we're doing a good job, and other teams are not. And so I feel like if other teams are okay with coming to Cameron, knowing that we're doing a good job with protecting the players, then have them come to Cameron, get the experience, and let's see what we can do on the floor.
1: Look, the bottom line is the NCAA tournament will not be played in Cameron Indoor Stadium. I'm pretty confident that that's going to be the case.
0: Well, I mean – it's 2020. You, you can't rule anything out at this point.
2: <laughs> yeah, Jason, I wouldn't. I wouldn't actually put anything anything past it. I actually would not be surprised if if the NCAA tournament games are played in small home arenas, but unlikely. Continue.
1: Yeah, uh, so, certainly at some point uh, during the NCAA tournament, you're going to have to win games away from Duke. Will have to win games away from Cameron Indoor Stadium if they hope to win a national title. The only thing people tend to remember from a season. Uh, it tends to be, you know, national title, final four, that kind of stuff that, that that's what everyone focuses on in this sport, because thank goodness we have a legitimate way of crowning a national champion under unlike some other sports. So, OK, so so this season, because the world is truly insane. Duke gets to play a lot more games than usual in a home stadium that has no fans in it. I don't think in the grand scheme of things, when the season is all done at some point in March or whenever it's all finished, I don't think that's going to matter all that much.
0: So uh, real quick, before we end this segment, you, you brought up the NCAA tournament. I know we weren't going to talk about this. I, I really feel this is me speaking on November 8th. Obviously you have the right to change this down the road. If the pandemic is still in full flight in March, they will not be playing an NBA Renus because the NBA uh, – Justin, or I guess they announced or that there's reports that they have agreed to start the season on December 22nd. They're playing 72 games. So they are losing a month and a half of the season, and they're also only losing 10 games of a regular season. So my guess is the NBA arenas are going to be chalk booked uh, for the March, April timeframe. And I think that arenas that are not being used, like the Sprint Center in Kansas City, uh, the Greensboro Coliseum, those type of arenas are going to be what we see as bubble sites for the NCAA tournament. But, of course, it's very early to tell. I don't even know what the NCAA is doing tomorrow as we speak, uh, but it will be something that we should look forward to.
1: Yeah, and, and by the way, I mean, NCAA tournament, there isn't a single conference that has announced how they're playing their conference games yet. We've got these preseason games that are going to happen in December. You know, like teams have figured out how they're going to sort of try and move around the country a little bit and play each other at least a little bit, you know, five, six, seven games or so. We don't, we have no idea what conference schedules are going to be like. I expect, I I, I hope, I think we're probably going to get that in the next week or so. But, but wow. I mean, like it's 2020's kicking our butt right
2: now. And look at the calendar. It's the, it's now the second week in November. It's now November 8th. Conference season starts for basically every conference in December now because conferences have all expanded their conference schedules. They have to start playing in December, and we still don't really know what's going on. So we're going to do a season preview show in like a, in two weeks here on, on this program, and not really knowing Duke's full schedule, we're not going to be able to look at it and say, oh, well, here are the trap games and here are this, because it's not there yet. And, and we don't know where the games are being played. We don't know under which conditions. So we're going to do the best we can. But uh, yeah, no one really knows how this is playing out, let alone, as you said, Jason, the NCAA tournament, which might as well be five years from now in, in Corona time. Okay,
0: guys, I mentioned at the top of the show that we we like to see our highlights videos with uh, some veggies included. Uh, the same goes for our podcasts. And so the veggie portion of this of the show is... The Duke football game from yesterday, uh, Duke played UNC. Uh, it w- did not go well. 56-24 to UNC. They take the victory belt back to Chapel Hill. Jason, I'll go to you. What What do you want to talk about with this game? Because this game was nasty.
1: How often does your team lose by 32 points and you get to say, you, you know, lots of times you say, hey, hey the, the scoreboard wasn't indicative of how close the, that game was. The scoreboard wasn't indicative of how close that game was. We should have lost worse than 32 points. <laughs> I, want, I want folks to understand. I, I am uh, So something amazing happened uh, in the third quarter with a minute and uh, – sorry, I, I, uh, yeah, there was like a minute and a half, two minutes left in the third quarter, something like that. Um, UNC punted. It was their first punt the whole day. I, I, I just I want people to understand what happened in this game. Carolina got the ball, they scored a touchdown. Duke got the ball. We played three plays and we punted. Carolina got the ball back, they scored a touchdown. Duke had the ball, we punted. Carolina got the ball back, they scored a touchdown. Duke got the ball, We had an interception. Carolina got the ball back. they scored a touchdown. Are you Are you getting where I'm going with this? Their first six possessions were all touchdowns. The only time they didn't score a touchdown in their first eight possessions was the end of the first half. We gave them the ball back with one second on the clock. They took a knee, and, and that was the end of the first half. Their first seven times other than that that they had the ball, they put the ball in the end zone. Wow. Uh, it, th- this was an absolute humiliation. We didn't belong on the same field with them. Um, the 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 most important thing I think that happened was Duke really gave Gunnar Holmberg a, a chance to play quarterback, and and he he actually looked fairly good. Uh, he's he's more mobile than Chase Bryce is, and he looked more accurate than Chase Bryce. Um, it's not like he blew the doors off, but uh, he did, he didn't have any interceptions, and he he completed seven of nine passes. Chase Bryce, you know, didn't even complete half his passes. I I, I think. There has to be a quarterback competition at Duke, and, and, and I think uh, unless he really doesn't look good in practice all week, I, I, I would expect Gunnar Holmberg to be the starter next week. And then one last little tiny note, uh, Matteo Durant um, had a pretty good day on the ground, uh, rushed for 130 yards, and now has become the 40th back in Duke football history to pass 1,000 yards rushing in his career. So congratulations to Matteo Durant for reaching 1,000 yards in his career. There is nothing else good about that game.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that it's amazing to be able to congratulate any Duke player for anything after that performance. I was going to highlight the the, the same drive chart. So I have nothing further to add. I I did note in the preview that UNC features a, a pretty balanced offense and that Duke was going to have to limit at least one, if not both aspects of the UNC offense, they failed to do that entirely. Um, UNC threw the ball with abandon. They rushed the ball with with multiple guys with abandon. And there was there was not much hope for Duke in this game. The the, the points came early and often for Carolina. So looking forward to next year, I suppose, because, man, this team is having a, a rough go of it.
1: By the way, Carolina is sort of touting Javante Williams. He leads the country in touchdowns. And they're sort of starting to tout Javante Williams for the Heisman. I, he, doesn't, he doesn't have much of a chance, I don't think. But, you know, uh, hey, uh, they've got someone who, who's potentially in the running. I, I got no problem with that. Good for them. Javante Williams, I could have run for touchdowns on some of those plays. The holes that he was getting there, the Carolina offensive line, whew, uh, Duke's defensive line is supposed to be really, really good. We got future pros on our defensive line. Carolina uh, was opening, to call them gaping holes, doesn't do justice to the word gaping. Let's just put it that way. Uh, he had, John Williams had one touchdown run where he ran through a hole that was in the middle of the line, that was a good six or eight yards wide. And at the very end of the run, there was a Duke defensive back, you know, uh, a, a, I think it was one of our safeties who tried to bring him down and he lowered his shoulder and pancaked this poor defensive player running, trampling over him on his way into the end zone. Um, it, it was shameful. There's no other way to put it than that.
0: Well, this team has a bye week this week, so they can't do replicate this performance whatsoever on Saturday because there's no one to be playing. And then they will, go, uh, they, they will end with Wake, Georgia Tech, and Florida State on their schedule. Three winnable games, but if you're going to play the way that they did on Saturday, none of those games are going to be close. So I'm hoping that, uh, like Jason said, that there is a quarterback competition during this bye week to see, and really just competition at every position. Who wants to play these last three games? Who wants to be the guys who make the difference in these last three games? Start the competition now. Keep it going throughout the week. Get some rest because uh, I know that's something that is, is a major factor for us as well. And then let's go through these last three games because they're the last three games of the season. So we need to uh, we need to make sure that we have these guys ready to go next weekend because if we, if, if we can't beat Wake, then we, we've really just dialed out on the season. And before we go, I want to tease what's going to come in the next few episodes for us. Uh, this is something that we, uh, we've we done a little bit of it in the past, but it's not something that we've done to this extent. The NBA draft is coming on, on November 18th, and, of course, we have three players who are in that draft or at least eligible to be drafted, uh, Trey Jones, Cassius Stanley, and Vernon Carey Jr. We have decided that we are going to – kind of do deep dives on each player in the lead up to the NBA draft. Jason, I want to kick it to you because I want you to kind of explain a little bit of what we're doing. We're going to split these up into three episodes, but give the viewers a sense of what we are going to accomplish over this next week and a half.
1: Yeah, over the course of three days next week, uh, we're going to present to you different episodes on each one of the three players. And what we've done is uh, I, I happen to be fortunate enough to know a guy who works with the NBA in, in youth player development, and more importantly than that, he's one of the leading professional basketball trainers in the world. Uh, when you when you hear us talk to him, it will become immediately apparent that this is a guy who knows his stuff. He knows what it takes to reach the highest levels of NBA basketball. His name is Jeremiah Boswell. Um, he he works for he has a company called the Skill Factory. He's trained James Harden, people. Uh, in the offseason James Harden comes and works with Jeremiah on on ways to improve his game. He he took a long look at Trey Vernon and Cash and he's going to tell us what he thinks about each one of their NBA prospects. This is unvarnished. This is, you know, this is not going to be a journalist giving you the uh, you know, the the warm fuzzies. This is this is from a guy who understands what it takes to be one of the guys on an NBA roster. I'll tell folks right away. He he does not paint a pretty picture that you know a lot of folks are like these guys should be first round draft picks Jeremiah explains why they might not be let's just leave it at that
0: yeah so look out for those the way we'll do it is we're going to release one episode uh you know every day or so throughout the week so just keep refreshing those feeds subscribe to the Duke basketball report uh, wherever you get your podcast and uh, you're going to get a lot of uh, incoming incoming episodes this week as we preview the NBA draft which again is on November 18th and then Right after the NBA draft, we will obviously break down everything that happened or didn't happen with regards to the Duke players. Uh, you also may see uh, see us plugging some other shows uh, of the NBA teams that, uh, that draft these players. We may be, you know, one of us may be appearing on some of their podcasts as well. So uh, Jason Samurai are getting out there. We are, we are branching out to the world safely. Uh, virtually, uh, but we will be doing that uh, with some of these NBA blogs with regards to our players, so stick around for that. For now, this will conclude episode 246 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Thank you, as always, to all of you out there who listen. Jason and Sam, thank you very much, and now, the Duke Band Please.